Okay, so we're in a series of distinctives. I prayed into it. Uh, we've done, this is the third week. The first week, Rick uh, started the series, and that was on what I think is probably the hallmark of the Christian church, and that's the distinctive that is God's presence. You know, throughout the scriptures, you see that it's the presence of God in the midst of his people that is a defining virtue, a dist- a, a, which is a true distinctive. And that has a number of knock-on effects. And in fact, this morning's preach, this one on power, backs up onto that and is very closely connected to, to presence. And I'll say more of that in just a moment. Then last week, we had that defining uh, distinctive of love. Dennis did an excellent job. I was away last week, but I listened to it during the week and I was thrilled with what he brought to us. And... Uh, Especially that inclusive thing, and I, I just want to say yay and amen to that whole multi-ethnicity thing that we're really you know, aspiring to and longing to have represented in this church. And I want to encourage you folks, if you are other than white Caucasian, and I don't know how to say this, but I want to encourage you guys you know, to consider stepping up into leadership, and in particular in the life group thing. If you, if, you, if you sense that God may be calling you to lead or host or serve on life groups, please ring the office, talk to Rich or Fliss, uh, email, uh, because we are very keen to uh, see this community of, of believers represent you know, you know, God's house in every, in every way possible. So please, uh, please do look at that to you know, pray about that and contact the office. My wife, Fliss, or Richard Gathard, is just up here, who will be very, help, uh, very happy to talk to you about possibilities and maybe some training too. So last week, Rick, um, Dennis spoke about the, the love distinctive. And this week, I'm going to talk about the power distinctive. I'm going to introduce it in just a moment by a little film clip, which I think will set the scene a little bit, but I I have to confess something here, and the confession is simply this, that I am actually apprehensive and nervous about preaching on this. I've had a sinking feeling all week, preaching about it. Now, curiously enough, when I first became a minister, and I've been a a minister now, and I blush to say it for nearly 30 years now, you wouldn't think so, would you? (laughs) But I have, and I was a real power junkie when we first started. I was in what they call the charismatic renewal movement part of the church, very strongly centered in that. And I used to speak a lot out and used to do these kind of healing meetings and tent meetings and goodness knows what. And I was really into that. And then I think as things went on, I became concerned about the hype that was beginning to come into not just my ministry, but the ministry. And I thought, you know, and it, it, it really kicked off something which has become one of my values and has become a value of this community, and that's reality. We want God, but we want it to be real. We don't want to just sort of G it up and try and you know, crank it up and try and sort of hype it up. You know, uh, I've, I've been in those meetings, and quite frankly, it doesn't do me any good, and I, I think it dishonors God. Why do we need to sort of, you know... Why do we need to go further than God wants to do? Does, does God bless by that? Is he honored by that? No way. So, so I, but I was in that whole holy road show when we first started and had a reputation in it. And I've backed off, but I probably backed off too much to be absolutely honest because the reality is it's in the scriptures. But I have grown in understanding and maturity. And now I thank God for God's dynamis, dynamis, Power ministry 
It brings healing. There is healing. This morning I've asked a, a, a special favor from Linda and the ministry team. I'm going to, at the end of my sermon, invite anyone who has a physical need for some physical healing to come forward and get prayer. We, we always do words of knowledge, and I've got a bunch here. I won't read them out just yet, but, uh, but that takes place over there. And we always get 20 or 30 people go over for prayer, and that's always great, and God does things. But this morning I want to do that thing that we sort of do occasionally, have people come to the front and... We just pray for anyone and everyone. If you're feeling a bit off color or sick or you have a major health issue, we want to pray for you this morning. Just put your hands up, just out of interest. Who is in need of God's, in need of God's healing this morning? 2, 7, 30, 38, 40, 70. Right, oh, it's going to be busy. Okay, <laughs> great. So we're going to pray for you. I'm going to allow, try and allow a little bit of time for that this morning. And uh, we're going to do that at the end. But I have matured a bit in my understanding of power and I've begun to realize that, that actually God's power and the way he uses that power and the way he administers that power through his church is, is very different. It's very different to my understanding, but it's also very different to the world's understanding. When the world thinks of power, power and authority, it thinks of position, it thinks of a place, it thinks of money, it thinks of celebrity, it thinks of... Things, the number of things you've got gives you influence and adds weight to your voice. If you've got lots of money, that means that your voice uh, get, is a louder voice. Uh, and the way our society views and, and, and works with power and uses power is actually very different to the way the power is seen in the kingdom of God. We could spend a whole series on looking at the power of God in the context of Scripture. But I'm going to just touch on three things. And the three things are going to be the power of forgiveness, the power of transformation, and the power of healing. That supernatural added value thing that God does. But by way of setting this up, let's just watch this little film clip. Thank you, Matt. Sometimes I get pretty frustrated with myself. I have been following Christ for a while now. At least it feels that way. I have a pretty good idea of who God is as my Father. I know He created me. I know He loves me no matter what. And I understand how Jesus has redeemed me and become my Savior. But when it comes to the Holy Spirit, I have to honestly say, I have a lot of unanswered questions. It just doesn't seem to work for me. I look at other Christians, and they seem to know exactly who the Holy Spirit is. The only problem is that one person's image of the Holy Spirit looks completely different than the next person's. They seem to have it all figured out. But I have questions. I read in the Bible where Jesus says, We will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on me but I don't know that I have ever felt that power. Jesus said we would do greater things than he did, but I have never come close to raising someone from the dead. What does power mean? 
in the book of Acts, the people closest to Jesus heal people with their shadows. Should I be able to do that? Should I be able to tell when people are lying to me? What is this speaking in tongues thing, really? I have seen some people do things under the power of the Spirit that makes me think, I don't want that power. But maybe my concept of power is different from God's. Maybe the things the Holy Spirit gives me power for are not sensational. What if when Jesus said we would do greater things than him, he was talking about the way we live our lives, the decisions we make, the words we speak? What if the Holy Spirit is so powerful that he is the source in every Christ follower? no matter how different that looks. Spirit gives me the power to decrease so that God can increase. The power of the Holy Spirit. What if the power of God gives me the power to decrease? so that he can increase. Do you know, at this stage of my walk with Jesus, as I reflect upon, honestly, the many wonderful things I've seen, the many wonderful experiences I've had, I've had supernatural experiences, but probably I would want to echo with that guy, this may not be your story, but I would want to echo with that guy that for me the greatest power that I have seen in my life has been the power God has given me to get over myself. I really have taken myself far too seriously. I've thought far too much of my opinion and my way. It's an extraordinary thing. And I believe when you consider the cross of Jesus Christ, he who had no sin, surrendering himself to his accusers, Surrendering himself to the scribes, the Pharisees, the religious authorities, the Roman soldiers, the torturers, and surrendering himself to the cross, I see extraordinary character and power in that. But even that is just the beginning of it. Let's, let's look at a, a reference to power here. Acts chapter 1, verses 4 to 8. And, and these are Jesus' sort of parting words really I think it'll come up on the screen is it in the NIV on the screen Matt or TNIV what have we got there do we know NIV great okay terrific so let's just read this passage for some of you this will be a, a familiar passage but it says this 
On one occasion, while he, sorry, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, Jesus gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Power there to be God's witnesses. The Greek word for witness, as many of you will know, is martyriai. And that's, of course, where we get the word martyr from. People laying down their lives, getting over themselves, laying aside their agenda, their priorities, in order to make the king and his kingdom the number one priority. You will receive power to do that. For some of us, we have the gift of the gab. Others have, 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 have teaching abilities, serving abilities, loving abilities, compassion ministry uh, um, Abilities, administrative abilities, leadership abilities, you name it. It encompasses all of our gifting, but it's surrendered to the kingdom when it's, it's laid before him. That is an extraordinary thing, because all of us can pursue our own thing, and all of us can put ourselves at the very center of what we want to do. So there's a power to witness that. But I do just want to pick up on the, the disciples' response in the middle of that, where which is really what I call the are we nearly there yet question. How many of you as parents, let's have a show of hands for this, because I think I'm probably in good company here. How many of you have been in a car when you've heard your, and you've got kids and they've said to you, are we nearly there yet? Oh my gosh, are we nearly there yet? Usually, and the, the time when I can remember this most, most well was when we were living and working in Leeds and we used to go and visit my mother in Cornwall on holiday and that then used to be a seven or eight hour journey. And we'd be half an hour into the journey and a little voice from the back seat would say, are we nearly there yet? You know? <laughs> but here's, this is the disciples really asking Jesus when they say this. They say, Lord, are you at this time, verse 6, going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They're asking the question, okay, Jesus, you, you, you've come. You've, we believe you're the Son of God. You, you've died on the cross. You've risen from the dead. Boy, that is awesome. And, and now you're ascending to heaven. Are we nearly there yet? Well, the truth of the matter, it's a good question, actually, and they are nearly there yet, but not just yet. Soon, soon, soon they will be there. And, and actually, in this tension between what we call the now and the not yet, there is, is, is great understanding, great wisdom to be, to, to be had. It, it, when we begin to understand that we're in the overlap between the victory of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus, when he will come to put all things, all wrongs to right... You know, Christians are looking forward to Jesus coming again. It's there in the scriptures. It's our hope. It's our, our aspiration. It's, we're, we're continually scanning the horizon for Jesus' return. But we are in that overlap. We're in the are, you near, are we nearly there yet moment. And, and, there are, and in that place, that kingdom tension between the now and the not yet, we find ourselves experiencing moments of the kingdom, some people will be healed, for example, in, uh, this morning, uh, but others won't. Uh, so there's the not yet. It hasn't quite come in all of its fullness, but 
as I say, if we can get our heads round this tension that there is that we're living in between the old and the new, caught in the sort of anteroom of the world to come, then we begin to understand that the kingdom breaks in, but it, it's it's not complete. It's the old is is dying, the old order is dying away. I've spoken recently on this. The new is breaking in, and there is this tension, this kingdom tension. But I said this morning I wanted to talk about three aspects of power. And, and I want to begin really with the power of forgiveness. And I, am, I find myself moved these days, partly because I've realized my own need of forgiveness, but, but I find myself moved when I see God extending grace, mercy, and forgiveness because I see it unlocking extraordinary potential. Let me just turn to another little passage of scripture. I was going to read the whole story, but I'm not going to because of pressures of time. But just turn with me if you've got your Bible, and if you haven't got one, we'd love to give you one. But turn with me to to Luke chapter 7. Incidentally, if you want a Bible and haven't got one, don't get them because they're free, but if you haven't got one, a new version, go to the welcome desk and we'd be happy to give you one. So Luke chapter 7, and there's a story here which begins at verse 36. And this is a lovely Jesus story. Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Now this is a lovely story. I could almost spend the whole time in this. I'm going to stop there. But suffice it to say, this street woman, she was a prostitute, causes great offence by her uninvited and unwelcome intrusion into this sort of civic gathering. But she stands there weeping and she falls at Jesus' feet and she anoints his feet and she weeps on his feet and she, because she's nothing else, she, she uses her hair to dry his feet. It's a very powerful and poignant story. And it gets a bit of a rise from these, these spiritual leaders. And then Jesus enters into a conversation with them and uses it as, as a teaching point saying, look, she's overwhelmed by gratitude because God has forgiven her sin. God has forgiven her sins. And then he turns to the woman and he says, Daughter, your sins are forgiven you. They are forgiven you. Uh, And it's a very powerful and poignant moment. I've got a wonderful story that's based on this, which I want to share with you, because it brings it in the 21st century. I have shared this story once before, but it is is just a beautiful example of, of the power of forgiveness. As many of you know, Fliss and I oversee an area in the central south coast area um, of other churches. And uh, we were attending Bournemouth Vineyard for their 12th anniversary, which was a great privilege to go down there and speak and share. And my good friend, uh, Rob Clark, who is the senior pastor there, has been through some very serious health issues and had a very nasty stroke. And, and uh, we went along and, and uh, he was sort of at that point on the road to recovery. And so there was a wonderful worship time, and then, then I shared with sort of, went okay, you know. And uh, then there was a hog roast. Anyway, we were sitting, as the afternoon began to wear on, and people began to sort of drift away. We were sat there, and I was sat with Rob chatting to him. He's a large man, 
And suddenly this, this lady came forward with two little boys and uh, just to say goodbye. And I, I, I saw her standing there because she was being very polite. I was just finishing a conversation with Rob. She was just standing there. And I looked at this dear woman. She was, a, she was an attractive woman, but she was probably in her, I, I guess, late 30s. And she had what I call that lived-in appearance. She, you know, life was written on her face. You know, a, an attractive woman, but, you know, she'd obviously had a bit of a tough life. Anyway, I finished my sentence quickly, and with that, the woman says, Rob, spoke to Rob and said, we need to go, thank you so much, it's been really lovely. And the two little boys threw themselves onto Rob's chest and hugged him. And it was very real. And it made him tear up, he's a bit emotional because of the, the, the sickness that he's had. And uh, he teared up, and to be honest with you, I was a bit teared up. It was so affectionate, it was so lovely. And then they kind of peeled off, and she looked at Rob and said, Thanks, Rob, it's been great to be here. Uh, see you next week. And off they went, and I thought, what a lovely little thing. And then Rob said, you know, there's a story there, and I, I can share it because this is public knowledge. She said, he said, this woman was the first Bournemouth prostitute that came to Christ in this church. And she said, it, he said, what happened was, it was I'll, I'll remember it till the day I die. We were preaching on this passage out of Luke chapter 7 about the woman who came in off the street and uh, fell at Jesus' feet weeping. And he said, that morning I was preaching on it and I, was, I had a few interns and so I sort of decided I'd do a little bit of kind of you know, drama or something. And so I started the sermon and I had the interns up and, and they were sort of lounging around as if at a feast and you know, I asked a volunteer for this and a volunteer for that and they like, we need a couple of servants, who will be a servant? It was kind of fun, sort of almost like an all-age family type service. And Anyway, suddenly there's a crash and the swing doors kind of burst open and in walks this quite clearly working woman in her working clothes and she comes stomp, stomp, stomp on teetering down on these high heel shoes and she sits straight down on the front. It's kind of really full of attitude and you could have heard a pin drop. Anyway, Rob sort of acknowledges and carries on and then he said, okay, well now we need a, a woman of the street. And as it came out of his mouth, he thought, oh, oh my gosh. And he was almost blushed, he was so embarrassed, you know. And this woman, without any hesitation, stood up and said, well, that'll be me then, won't it? And looked round at the congregation as if there were any other contenders, you know. <laughs> and she goes, totter, 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 stomp, stomp, stomp across here. And, Ro and Rob was just feeling embarrassed. And, oh, why was I preaching on this this morning? This is so, oh, gosh. And he said, God, what I should, should I do? And the Lord just spoke to him in that moment and said, do what I did in the story. Tell her her sins are forgiven. Because that's what Jesus does at this thing. So it's not, it wasn't really in the context, but he, she came and she stood there. And just because the Lord told him to say, he turned to her and said, sweetheart, the Lord tells me to say to you, your sins are forgiven. And with that, she collapsed. Gushing with tears, gushing with tears, she just undid in a way that very few of us would like to have happen. But that was not what she was expecting. But God knew that she needed to know from him that her sins were forgiven. And Rob said, you know, it was an extraordinary thing. It, it, 
in a, it transformed our church. It did things to us. And she started coming and she did Alpha and she did that. And to be honest with you, she stayed on the street for a little while because her life just couldn't turn on a pin. It was very difficult, very challenging, very awkward. All sorts of issues raised up. But over the course of time, God's spirit in her and the power of forgiveness that gave her a new beginning, a fresh start, began to work out. And they started to see if the power of forgiveness is the first point. Thanks, Matt. And the second is the power of transformation. They began to see among them, emerging from this kind of brash, overly confident, in-your-face street woman, a tenderness, a softness, a servant-heartedness begin to work out. They, They saw a miracle no other word for it, taking place in their midst. Uh, And this power of forgiveness allied with the power of transformation is what really, really, really excites me now. Increasingly, we talk about the power of transformation. We talk about the way God has this extraordinary ability to take anyone, you know, even people like me, and work transformation in them. And if you're looking in the scriptures for, for stories of transformation, you don't have to look very far. The great apostle Paul, as many of you know, was a, a persecutor of the church. Because of him, people went to the lions in the, you know, the Colosseum. They, they, they went to the local you know, bear pits and were torn apart. He was persecuting the church. And yet God met him. The power of transformation in Christ worked in him, the power of forgiveness. And Paul became a great advocate for the gospel. The power of forgiveness, the power of transformation. Something that the world doesn't seem to value all that highly. I was listening to a a radio program this morning. You know I'm a great sort of Radio 4 listener. And I wish I had the woman's name. Some of you may may know who I'm talking about, but I missed the opening introduction, but a woman was being interviewed in the morning, this was I think around Wednesday, around 10.30, something like that, and uh, she had been raped by her father whom she adored when she was 11, and they still remained great friends and they used to do, they had many common interests, they used to go out for date, but, but there was this unspoken terrible thing that the father had perpetrated against her when she was 11. And she's written a book and it's all out there now in the public domain. And, and she said to the interviewer, and I, I, I've never ever heard anyone say this, but she said to the interviewer, I don't believe in forgiveness. And I thought, what did she say? I mean, that goes against everything I've seen in, in, in you know, my life. I, the power of forgiveness is extraordinary. But she then repeated it about five minutes later. She says, no, I don't believe in forgiveness. I believe that there is, in every one of us, there is darkness and there is light. And sometimes we go with the darkness and sometimes we go with the light. And if we try and do the light bit enough, it'll begin to sort of blanch out the darkness. I thought, oh, flip, give give me a break. Makes my headache, you know. No fresh starts, no new beginnings, a lifetime of regret, Shame, pain, and on into eternity. I don't believe in forgiveness. Good grief. The power.
power of forgiveness is not something that we will see too often advocated and talked about and celebrated because it's not the way the world works. But in the kingdom of God, a distinctive of the kingdom, a distinctive of the, king, uh, uh, of, of the church is this, this power, power to forgive, power to transform. And you know what? I love it when we have our baptisms. I love it when we have our baby dedications, our, our opportunities for little stories in, in our various classes. And the stories I am looking at people who are on a, on a road of transformation. Anybody want to put a hand up and say amen to that? It's extraordinary. I find it intensely moving. It really makes me churn up. So, you know, maybe God's power gives us the ability to empty ourselves and give ourselves to him, to surrender, if you like. Yes, the power of forgiveness. Yes, the power of transformation. But there is also this other thing, this almost this inconvenient thing, which, as I say, I'm nervous about sharing. And that's... This dunamis, this dynamis, as the Greek says, power of God, which is something else. It's when the kingdom breaks in. It's the healing power of Jesus. It's the supernatural power of Jesus. You know, this week we've got, as always, let me see if I can find them. We've got uh, a list of, of folk who are, you know, needing prayer. These, these are prayer lists uh, came, came from our prayer team before the service, someone with a broken right foot, somebody with a problem with the left ankle, somebody suffering from gout, somebody with a bladder uh, problem and an infected lower intestine, somebody with a left shoulder pain, some, a man with eczema, a throat infection, prostate problem, lady with repetitive stress injury. I mean, every week we read these out and people go there and they get prayer and they get healed. They get healed. We've had some extraordinary healings recently. And really, I don't know what to say about these things. I mean, I, just from my own ministry, just, you know, I remember the first time God ever used me in healing. I was just dumbstruck because I always thought one of these days God is going to use me in the healing power and I'm going to glow. And I shall be like Moses in my children's Bible standing on a hill with a sort of glow, an aura, with a big staff and I'll look wise and or the rest of it. I was, the first time God used me like that, personally, I was a curate. I was in the Anglican church and I was assistant minister. We were in Leeds, in Hol Holbeck in Leeds and we had a Tuesday night prayer meeting for the sick. And to be honest with you, it was a chore going along to it because I would rather do other things. And after a few months I realized that it was the same old seven people that came every week. And we'd have a little bit of worship and because of the tradition that the church was in, we'd always have the Eucharist communion and, and then we'd pray, offer prayer for the sick and the same old seven faces would come up, you know. And there was this one woman and she had a, she'd had a terrible life. Her husband was abusive in all manner of ways. We won't go into that. And she had Crohn's disease. And... Uh, she, the way we did it, I was all dressed up in my garb. It happened that the vicar was there as well. and There was an altar rail, and she knelt down. And I, you know, I, I knew exactly what she was going to say, but I said, how can I pray for you? What is it we pray for? And she told me, and she, she was particularly agitated this week because she was going to see the consultant on a Wednesday, and it wasn't looking good. She was, exp she was facing 
a serious operation where they'd remove yards of large intestine, basically. She was very nervous, and her husband had no truck or time for her at all. She expect, he expected, this is very Leeds and very North and very 20 years ago, three hot meals on the table every day. Full cooked breakfast, full lunch, full dinner. And she was white and pale and sick. And a regular at the Tuesday prayer meeting. So anyway, I laid hands on her and I prayed for her and uh, I didn't feel like Moses on a mountain. And that was the end of it and we went, we went home and that didn't think any more about it. Anyway, the following Sunday she's in church and uh, I, I, I can't even remember her name now, but I said to her, I said, how are you feeling? She was shaking hands on the way out of church, like they do in that kind of church. And I'm shaking hands and she came up my side and she wasn't bouncing around, wasn't skipping. And I said, I said, how are you doing? How was Wednesday? And she said, well, it's really funny, really. And I said, what do you mean? She said, well, I went to the consultant and the consultant looked at my notes and... Uh, Decided that we needed to take some more x-rays and things because it wasn't looking good. And I came back for the, the x-rays and they thought they'd got the x-rays mixed up. And I said, all right. And she said, anyway, they checked and they hadn't. And there's no, tr no trace of Crohn's disease at all. So I'm listening to this and I'm thinking, what, what, excuse me, what, what, what? <laughs> did you say there was no trace of Crohn's disease? And she said, yes, the consultant's completely baffled. And, and um, uh, look, I, you know, I, I haven't got Crohn's disease. And I said, well, that sounds like you were healed. And she said, she said, well, my husband says I was just making it all up. And I'm, I'm wondering. Gosh. God, I would have poked the bloke's eyes out if I'd seen it. <laughs> no, I wouldn't. I would have blessed him. Bless you, my child. <laughs> have a communion wafer or two. And I hope you choke on... Oops, I mean, no, I mean... I mean, it, well, I, as I tell the story, it bothers me because in, in many ways God was robbed of the glory. But because of her life, which was hell on earth, and her husband saying, I knew you were making it up, you know, your old drama queen or whatever he said to her, I don't know what it was. But the reality was she went for the final consultation with facing a very serious operation, and she was totally healed. And I didn't feel like Moses on a mountain. Then I think of the, the, another time when I was at St. Andrews. At the end of a meeting, we'd had a healing meeting, and there wasn't seven, there was probably 70 people that came forward for prayer for that. And I, we had all, we'd had a very busy weekend, and it was a Sunday night, and lots of people came forward for prayer, and I was prayed for tons of people. I couldn't tell you who, but we were all very busy. You know, Barry Kissel, David Pitches, myself. One or two other team members were all praying like crazy. And I'm on my way out, and this little old woman who... I went out to sort of escape into the vestry, and this little woman sat there by the wall, and she caught my arm as I went by, and she said, could you pray for me? And I thought, yes. And all I really wanted to do was go home and have a beer or something, put my feet up. And I said, what's the problem? And she says, well, um, I've got spondyli degenerative spondylitis. It is an age thing, she said. It is my age, and it's not uncommon, but I've got a bit more than that, and, and I'm in a lot of pain and discomfort. And I said, oh, I'm really sorry. Yeah, let me just pray for you. And I stopped. I didn't even sit down. I didn't take her to the front. I didn't do anything of that. I just sort of stopped there, hovering, and I said, come Holy Spirit. 
And I waited as we do with our ministry team until I saw the Spirit come on. Or in her case, the eyes started flickering. And I knew the Spirit of God was on her. And then I said, I asked her permission. I said, do you mind if I just put my hand on your lower back? She said, no, fire, what can do, do, do that? So I put my hand on my, her lower back. And I said, in the name of Jesus Christ, my Lord, my Savior, be healed. And she went like that. And I said, are you all right? You, you want to sit down? She said, no, I'm fine. Bless you. Let us know how you get on. The ministry time didn't take any longer than that. And I was off and out and home. Forgot all about it. That woman was healed. We got a letter about six weeks later. David Pitches brought it to the staff meeting. And he said, I've had this letter about this remarkable healing. da 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 And I was just like, oh great. Because often God does heal. you know. And then I suddenly realized, I thought, flipping heck, that's, that was that woman. Again, I didn't feel like Moses on the mountaintop. And then there was a time here a couple of years ago. I've got to be careful how I say this, but a couple of years ago I was praying. I just felt the Lord prompt me to to pray for people who were having trouble conceiving. And and it is very common. And and, uh, several people came up afterwards and uh, we prayed for them. And I got to sit down with one young couple lovely young couple and they were having troubles conceiving and uh, I said okay let's, let's pray for you and I started to pray and immediately the Lord gave me what we call a word of knowledge abortion and uh, I felt embarrassed because this, 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 this woman I mean, she's still a member of our congregation I'll be very careful what I say but she just I don't know what I was thinking but didn't look like the kind of person would have an abortion and uh, so I felt a bit awkward about this and I said look this is, I'm a bit distracted by something this is an absolute confidence and, but, but can, can I just whisper something in your ear and I whispered in her I said, have you ever had an abortion and she just fell apart but she had had an abortion when she was a teenager and just felt incredible guilt so to circle right round in my talk I, I said to her then I said Sister, your sins are forgiven you. And it was like, it was like lead weights fell off her. She was pregnant by the end of the month. Now, it wasn't this couple here because Caroline was talking about how God, they were having, I hope I, you, you said it, so it wasn't these people who, oh dear, I mean, I'm getting all hung. <laughs> it wasn't Carolyn. The power of forgiveness. And again, did I feel like Moses on a mountain? No, I just feel like wonder, just incredible wonder. You see, I don't want to dumb down the power of God because to be honest with you, I, I, those of us who've been in, 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 in this gig for a while will, will tell you that it's the transformation of lives that is the thing, the making of disciples that is extraordinary and incredible. But as well as all of that, the low-key kind of everyday things. There are these extraordinary things where God visits us and does the Bible in the 21st century. It's as if God doesn't know it's the 21st century. He's not intimidated by MRI scans and tests and all these other things. He just does what he always does, and it's in the book.